thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on High at Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of High at Nine News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Wednesday. It's hump day, December 27th. And today, uh, Rico, I hope you're ready for this. Today is National Fruitcake Day. That's it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I got to be ready for that one. It's National Fruitcake Day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's also, too, the second day of Kwanzaa, right? It's day two. And that was not in my calendar either, but the fruitcake was. But thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below to see where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So welcome to everyone joining us from any one of those platforms but kicking it off today, we have the dope dad himself, Mr. Rico Lamite, who's choosing to cover his hair today because he must be having a bad hair day. <laughs> Never that. Never that. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's the dope dad himself, Mr. Always. Rico Lamite. Don't take the beat. Don't take the bait, Always Rico. Fresh. Don't take mm-hmm. the bait. Always fresh, Jason. Always, Always fresh. With the my bait. follicles is real, real nice and strong. Mm-hmm. Real, real, my quaff is on point today. But um, we're going to talk about scandals today, right? As you, well, one of your favorite topics, Jason. Like a, you love, love a good, good scandal, scandal, don't you? Yeah. All right. So as we count down with four days left in December, uh, four days left in the year of 2023. The Green Market Report's uh, Deborah Borchardt looked back on the top scandals she and the GMR team says rocked the cannabis industry in 2023. I go through these and um, add in a, a couple of honorable mentions for myself and uh, open it up to the team, see what you guys think about the list and see if you guys have anything to add to this one. All right, so number one, bankruptcies are never pleasant, but this one's a doozy. Not only was SkyMint big retail firm. Uh, Skymint drowning in a sea of debt, but the CEO was accused of having an inappropriate relationship with another executive spending company funds on that woman. Since it's cannabis, the company couldn't go through normal ba- uh, bankruptcy bankruptcy channels, so the lenders agreed to a reorganization. The only problem is that 315 Cannabis, a Merida Capital Holdings company, caught up in the craziness after Skymint said it would buy the company but never paid for it. 
315 asked the judge to let it out of the let them out of the deal, but the judge disagreed. On appeal, 315 is trying to get his company back while SkyMint's lenders are preparing to take over the company. Herbal. We're no strangers to herbal and the, the whole herbal fallout here in California. It wasn't an earthquake that shook California cannabis. It was the implosion of herbal. The cannabis distributor was rumored to have forced faced issues of company not paying companies not paying their bills, which made it impossible for the company to keep running. Laid off employees took to social media to announce that the company would not um, what the company would not do themselves. They let everybody know that they were shutting down. With bankruptcy not an option, the company went into receivership and it left many cannabis companies in the state scrambling to find a new distributor for their products. Plus, many of these small cannabis companies just lost inventory in the process and weren't paid for it. Um, now it seems everybody is fighting over the scraps. Cannabis companies, a bank, and even the state of California want money from Herbal. Mm. Rest in peace. Weedgenics. In May, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission obtained an emergency order to halt alleged ongoing offering and Ponzi scheme like integration, Integrated National Resources Incorporated, what does business as Weedgenics. And its founder, Rolf Max Hirschman and Patrick Earl Williams, under the scheme, uh, allegedly raised more than $60 million from investors to expand their cannabis operations, but instead used the money to make $16.2 million in Ponzi-like uh, payments and to enrich themselves. The scam started in 2019, but the SEC didn't shut it down until 2023. The agency alleged that in an attempt to avoid detection, Hirschman, acting as the face of the company, used the fake name Max Bergman uh, when he communicated with investors, while Williams, as vice president of the company, worked behind the scenes. Williams was also accused of spending investor funds on his more public career as a rap musician, Big Rig Baby. <laughs> you download that one, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> the old man cometh. <laughs> so, little Max. Little high Max Times. Will. You're right. <laughs> Long time cannabis publication, High Times, and its current owner, Adam Levin, found themselves in the subject of a stock fraud investigation for seemingly never ending stock offering. <laughs> We've all heard of that $420 <laughs> offering that uh, High Times dropped. Not one, not two, but. Ten years ago, Levin originally bought the title with the idea of taking it public and flipping the stock for a profit. However, things didn't go according to plan. Levin just kept taking money from investors and changing the value of the stock from 11 to $1. <laughs> the company ran afoul of the SEC for paying a stock promoter and not disclosing that to investors. Investors have complained that the magazine took their money uh, and then never paid uh, provided any additional information or updates. <laughs> Y'all got finessed. Uh, Benzinga's AI interview. So this one's funny. Uh, who's going to know, right? In November, business news website Benzinga ran a contributed uh, interview with the rap star and Cookies founder, Burner, whose real name is Gilbert Milam. Uh, the only problem was Burner said that he did not do the interview. The journalist Grant Smith Ellis suggested the interview was AI generated and ran it through an AI content direct detector. David Daxon, the contributor, insisted he did the interview, even though Burner insisted he never talked to Daxon. Ultimately, Benzinga pulled the story after two days, apologized to Burner, and ended the relationship with the writer. It could be argued Benzinga was scammed by the contributor, but that's what editors are for, and the media company's slow response did not help matters by allowing it to grow legs. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Burner was, uh, was, was, was interviewed by an AI journalist. I don't know. I don't know. I want to hear more about that. <laughs> I want to know the details. Cookies, again, 
managed to make the list twice this year, but in two different capacities. Uh, this time, Cookies was hit with multiple breach of contract lawsuits. One was from business partner alleging theft and fraud, while the other lawsuits allege Cookies routinely used threats of violence and retribution in business dealings. Among the allegations was that Burner and Associates stole valuable cannabis genetics as well as profits from Seed Junkie uh, through a joint business venture, Mint, and that Burner and his company officials have been misappropriating company funds and resources for their own private slush funds. Burner said the, uh, the complaints were made by predatory investors, and shortly thereafter, one lawsuit was dropped. As far as we can tell, the other lawsuit is still in play. Then finally, they have the Massachusetts Commission of cannabis companies and operators weren't the only ones following finding themselves in headlines of less than positive reasons the regulators got in on the fun the massachusetts cannabis control commission found itself in more hot water this year after the state treasurer suspended chair uh shannon o'brien and she's now suing the ccc over that suspension that's not all if you guys have tuned into the show you know a lot about this story Acting Executive Director Debbie Hilden Creek, then suspended Chief Communications Officer Cedric Sinclair and Director of Human Resources Justin Schrader in December. The shenanigans did not stop uh, with the shuffle there. Uh, there were claims of retaliation against independent journalist Grant Smith Ellis when commission officials allegedly cited the content of this uh, journalist's testimony before the Joint Committee on Cannabis Policy as part of the justification for stripping the journalists of their press credentials. If that wasn't enough, the commission also allegedly shared a document containing the names, ad addresses, phone numbers, emails, and other sensitive personal information of every cannabis worker, active or inactive, in Massachusetts. The commission was criticized from the beginning for having an opaque and lengthy process to receiving a license, and the whole commission might just need a reboot after O'Brien apparently didn't get the memo that you can't call Asian people yellow anymore. <laughs> All right. Michigan bribery. So this is the scandal we talked a little bit about yesterday, too. Trace back to 2017 bribery case in, involving a top cannabis regulator in Michigan, and some lobbyists came in uh, to a resolution this year. Back in April, Brian Pierce and Vincent Brown pleaded guilty uh, to conspiracy to commit bribery. According to their plea agreements, they did lobbying work via Philip Allen Brown Consulting and Michigan Growers Consultants on behalf of various businesses that sought licenses from a board that was created to regulate the industry under a 2016 law. So this is before everything went legal in Michigan. It was an, uh, it was an ex-Republican uh, Speaker of the House uh, was doing the pay-for-play thing out in the open, <laughs> acting like they ain't going to catch up to him. So they helped uh, raise him 40000 in cash uh, to the former chair of the marijuana board, Rick Johnson, between 2017 and 2019. At Johnson's request, Pierce paid $2,000 to a Detroit stripper who was having commercial sex with Johnson. <laughs> That's how he got caught. In October, Pierce was sentenced to two years and $25,000 fine from U.S. District Judge uh, Jane Beckering in Grand Rapids, and Brown received 20 months and a $25,000 fine. He was sentenced to 55 months in federal prison. My two uh, that I would like to add to this mix, obviously, what's going on at Stizzy right now. <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind of a big deal. And then uh, the other one uh, that I would like to, to, to add to the mix there is, uh, and I have no idea how they missed this one, the whole Lorna McDaniel's story, um, the first official death in cannabis attributed to True Leave. Um, I know a lot of folks were trying not to touch this story because True Leave was just follow the money, folks, just follow the money. Um, but 
We covered it thoroughly. Uh, Leafly did for a moment of time before that story was scrapped and pulled from the internet in its entirety. And then um, big big ups to everybody else who um, helped this young woman and uh, celebrate her life and then also uh, get out into the open when media was obviously being suppressed around this one. Um, I hope the family uh, gets some peace from this. And um, I hope that we have not heard the last of the Lorna McMurray, excuse me, I said McDaniels earlier, a Lorna McMurray story. But those are my two um, uh, special, my two um, uh, honorable mentions there. I'd love to hear from the rest of the team. What do you guys think about these, uh, the list of Green Market Reports scandals? And you guys have any more to add to the list? I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. Happy second day of Kwanzaa, y'all. I have to look and see which day it is because I forgot it. Uh -huh. I bet you did. That high time story cracks me up. <laughs> yes. I need some clarity yeah, I, on something. I'll go for yeah, it. Define man. commercial sex for me. Commercial sex? <laughs> it's when you have sex in a commercial Oh, well, that's building. easy. Like, I, like when you like used to have private like industrial side. Yes. It, it lasts you used to have private sex. It's like pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> technically, you got a card swiper in your purse. Technically, OnlyFans could be considered. Couldn't OnlyFans be considered commercial sex? It's sex work, I think, but it's not commercial sex because it's on a computer. Oh, There's lots of Detroit officials got caught up this year. Um, yeah, we still haven't with, found uh, out what's up with that forty that 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 forty million dollars. Well, we still have not. There's lots of was that this year? Oh, was that, last that was this year. Like at the end of last year. Oh, this year too? I mean, it feels like it was about a year. There's a lot of shit that went down in Michigan, man. Yeah. Michigan was wilding. Yeah, but I think I think overall I don't know. for me, you guys, like sorry, there's so many major stories this year. And mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like I just have to shake my head because as an emerging industry, we're obviously gonna trip and fall a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. We're gonna make big mistakes and some of us are gonna fall much bigger and harder than others. But like, there's a lot of media that we generate that is just, it's defeating the hard work that so many people are doing. It's like counterproductive. It's and um, we need to be really mindful as business operators um, with the decisions that we're making, that, the, that they're not just decisions for today, that they're long-term play decisions because we're literally paving the way for future generations to come behind us. So. Um, go slow and steady. There's no, no fast forward when you're building something. That's right. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. And you know, on the public company side, it, I'm actually shocked. I have not kept up with high times in years. You know, they've kind of fallen off the map as as a reputable reputable publication in cannabis. But um, I actually remember meeting Adam right after they bought High Times in 2017. I think it was the Lowe's on, on Hollywood Boulevard. We were there for an arc view and I was working at Mass Roots and we put 100K into their offering and we had talked to them about some kind of merger or other deal and they just kept basically diluting the shit out of their stock, issuing more and more stock. I cannot believe that we're almost eight years later and they're still doing that because that must have been January or February of 2017. So, um, I don't, I don't know anything about the in, internal details, so I'm not going to comment on whether the SEC's case has any, any grounds to it or not, but I'm just shocked that they're still issuing stock. I think, I think out of all these, I think out of all these, I think out of all these scandals, I think the herbal was the biggest scandal of the year.
Yeah, I mean that's almost it's not it's not a scandal so much as just a result of the yeah, I terrible I, supply I, chain because cash flow issues. I feel like I feel like it it really it really affected so so many people in the industry. I think that like it affect it had it had such a wide cast net of who it affected. Um, and I think that probably affected more people than any of the other scandals this year. Yeah, that probably was the most impactful, but probably not the most scandalous. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a good point, uh, Luke. And I can get behind that statement. Definitely yeah, most yeah. impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very. Impactful that Stizzy story is pretty scandalous. Yeah. That one's still brewing. That one's still brewing. Not just California, because um, there's plenty of people outside of California that get those Cal- uh, California products too, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure that their menus were short <laughs> after herbal. Oh boy. I mean, I. I can get Stizzy. I can get Stizzy cars down at the gas station here in Austin. Oh man, you know we're gonna go to a commercial. We're gonna be right back. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck, smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Y'all know him best as the head honcho here at uh, at Hyatt Nine News, but he's known globally for smoking the best, you know, uh, and he's known locally for supporting the worst. <laughs> Either way, it's he's Jason support, Beck. I only support the best. Welcome, Jason. <laughs> I only, su- only, only support winners, bro. Only support winners. We don't support losers. All right. But... I'll tell you what, man, oh, man, Missouri lawmakers renew a push to regulate Delta 8 THC hemp products, you guys. Oh, man, they're coming for your Delta 8, so hum. A Republican state senator has filed legislation to renew last spring's failed effort to regulate intoxicating hemp products in Missouri, such as Delta 8 drinks and edibles. Delta 8 THC products can be sold in stores in Missouri because the intoxicating ingredient THC is derived from hemp not marijuana which is a controlled substance these guys and hemp is federally legal obviously no one ever read the definition of the controlled substances act before writing this there's no state or federal law saying teenagers or children can't buy them on uh, or stores can't sell them to them to minors though some stores and vendors have taken it upon themselves to impose age restrictions of 21 years and up and there's no requirement to list potential effects on the label or test how much THC is actually in them. <coughs> Excuse me. State Senator Nick Schroyer, a Republican from O'Fallon, who chairs the legislative committee that oversees Missouri's marijuana marijuana rules, said the products are too easily accessible to children, particularly teenagers. In quotes, he says, I've had constituents reaching out to me saying their kids had been hospitalized, Schroyer said. Schroyer's bill would task the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services with regulating these products, as the agency clearly does for the state's marijuana program, and products would have to be sold at DHSS licensed dispensaries. State Rep. Chad Perkins, a Bowling Green Republican, has filed a companion bill in the House. DHSS spokeswoman uh, Lisa Cox said the department does not take positions on proposed bills. And in quotes, however, she said, we do acknowledge the potential and ongoing public health impact of unregulated THC products. 
Over the past few years, Cox said there has been an increase in children's going to the hospital for cannabis exposure. In quotes, the department has increased its emphasis on regulatory mechanisms that protect health and children in order to minimize any contribution of the regulated cannabis market to such incidents. She said also, as of right now, there is no such protective framework for unregulated THC products. Well, of course they aren't. They're unregulated, lady. Sean Hackman, president of the Missouri Hemp Trade Association and his organization advocates for measures such as prohibiting sales to minors and mandating clear user instructions and rigorous product testing in quotes. While any overdose report, especially those involving minors, is deeply concerning, this does not constitute a public health emergency, but rather an opportunity for improved regulation, Hackman said in an email to the Independent in response to the the legislation. The association opposes tasking the department with regulating the products and requiring them to be sold in dispensaries. A similar bill filed by Republican State Representative Curtis Gregory of Marshall got stuck in committee during the last legislative session. And during a hearing on the bill, both Republican and Democratic lawmakers pushed back on the idea of forcing the hemp industry under the umbrella of DHSS, saying that would allow the marijuana monopoly to take over the market given the limited number of licenses for dispensaries available. After voters passed a constitutional amendment allowing medical marijuana in 2018, competition for licenses became fierce when the state capped the number of applicants it would approve, initially issuing 338 licenses to sell, grow, and process marijuana. Widespread reports of irregularities in how applications were scored fueled criticism of the industry and accusations that insiders were building a monopoly. That criticism spilled over into the campaign to legalize adult-use cannabis last year, though the proposal still won voter approval. Some applicants who didn't land medical marijuana licenses turned to producing hemp-derived THC products. Another uh, concern critics had last year was that the hemp is federally legal, and lumping it in with the regulations of a controlled substance could result in lawsuits, they said. Schroyer said he'll be closely watching the ongoing legal case of Robertsville-based marijuana manufacturer Delta Extraction. Delta Extraction had its license to manufacture cannabis products revoked in November, months after a massive recall pulled more than 60,000 products off the shelves, which the state says were illegally made with a hemp-derived THC concentrate imported from out of state. While hemp is federally legal, state regulators argue that once hemp-derived THC comes into the marijuana realm, they can regulate it. The question currently before the Administrative Hearing Commission is whether or not Missouri regulators have the authority to prohibit licensed companies from infusing marijuana-grown marijuana products with hemp-derived THC. These guys got it so twisted. If the company loses its appeal before the commission, the then Delta 8 will continue to fight in court, the, the company's attorneys have said. And Delta will be arguing that the state has no authority to regulate hemp products at all. In quotes, the Division of Cannabis Regulatory Authority to regulate is limited to non-hemp marijuana and does not depend on whether it is used to make THC. Delta's attorney Chuck Hartfield wrote in a recent letter to the department. Schroyer said his proposed legislation will be mindful of the court's decision in the case and in quotes, we're still using, uh, we're still going to use this judicial guidance to craft a type of law compliant with the case law, he said. That's going to protect the youth of our state and any type of consumer of these types of products. In September, a federal judge in Arkansas sided with hemp companies in granting a preliminary injunction 
on a state law similar to the one Schroyer and Perkins have proposed aimed at regulating hemp-derived THC products. U.S. District Court Judge Billy Roy Wilson said if Arkansas wants to participate in the federal hemp program, then it can pick and choose which parts of the law it wants to follow. Despite the preliminary court order in Arkansas, Schroyer said he's not convinced the federal government has the authority to prevent state legislators from passing laws to regulate intoxicating cannabinoids. And in quotes, when you're putting these things into the stream of commerce and you look at the 10th Amendment, he said, there's really nothing the U.S. Constitution that says we can't clearly legislate this type of issue. They say, well, 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 Delta 8 is going down in Missouri. And what do you guys have to say about this? And this is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. What do y'all think? Delta, they got um, the lawyers involved now. Right, They're Dale? split every hair. We're trying to define a gray area and split every hair. And if you can make money making a left-hand turn and putting that shit on the market and claim they can't do anything to me, good luck. Pay right. my attorney's fees, I'll argue whatever the hell you want me to argue. <laughs> do you, did anyone ever notice that when Jason talks about Missouri, he sounds like a South Park reject? I just I can't Thor-tie. help it. I, I did hear the Cartman there. <laughs> yes. The, respect my authority. Yes, you will respect my authority. It's because it is Missouri. Yeah, this Delta 8 ain't going nowhere, man. Cartman bet. Mm-hmm. People can pay, pay, just like Dale said, they'll be paying a whole bunch of legal fees. Yeah, exactly. Or your full employment act. Love it. <laughs> I, I do like the argument that they're using the, the anti-monopoly argument to keep Delta 8 in gas stations. Like, I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. Creative Maybe argument. Make Delta that 8 was written on a bathroom wall somewhere where a guy was taking a shit that's a lawyer. Went, ah, that sounds good. I'll bring that one up. Dale, Dale, I'm curious as to your thoughts in, in regards to the, to the last statement uh, there uh, when, when he's talking in regards to the, the stream of commerce and the 10th Amendment. And he's saying that that that's just really nothing that the U.S. Constitution says that clearly legislates this type of issue. Well, it the, the federal government split jurisdiction back in 1970 with the states. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that has a lot of um, traction because we we've had arguments in this state about whether federal law preempts state law, and our state. Uh, Supreme Court or our state courts took a position and hell no, we have the right under that grant of authority to pass our own public health laws. These are traditional police powers, okay? But I can't pass a law in California to make it federally legal. That's that's a difference here. And again, this is just, this is first year law school shit. Can you think up something to put on your answer to your question and charge somebody for it? This ain't gonna solve anything because we have to have the federal government step in Stop playing this game that, oh, it's got Delta 9 as opposed to Delta 8 and, you know, all kind of shit. It's come from hemp or not. It, stop it. It's nonsense, okay? THC is THC. <laughs> it has a psychoactive effect. That's right. It's all it's all Just cannabis sativa L under the Controlled Substances Act. It's all got the same definition. It absolutely is. You know, you, you know what, Dale? I think there's a great advertising opportunity for all those Delta 8 guys out there to go ahead and take a Sharpie and put your product name on the inside of bathroom stalls at the gas station. There you go. You know what? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I didn't have a good time, right? <laughs> I have mixed feelings on this, on the whole Delta eight like situation. And like, I know, I know in certain States when you can't, where you can't get cannabis, it's making inroads into 
you know, cannabis acceptance and normalization and things like that. But like this, it's, it's hard for me to say like, Hey, Delta eight, like get behind it. Cause to me, it's not, you're not really experiencing the plant. You're experiencing some like nice. synthetic form that they've placeboed you into thinking is doing all these miraculous things. Um, yeah, the plant does have miraculous things that can happen, but they don't really, I don't see them happening on these Delta eight drinks and things like that. But to, to your point, Jason, about, um, the 10th amendment and the state's rights to pass their own laws. I think this is like one of the principles of federalism. This is one of the principles that our founders put into the constitution to be able to have the states become laboratories. Mm -hmm. And when these states are laboratories of democracy, they are able to, show the rest of the states kind of the path forward. And I think that we've been doing that. And I think that we, we will continue to do that on the cannabis front, because I think the states are continuing to lead the way here. That part. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially in legal states, Luke, this is great points, Luke, uh, especially in legal states. I'm like, when I see Delta 8, like out, whether it's a gas station or not, I see it as more as uh, aimed at people who can't get into dispensaries. Um, I'm, I'm stopping just short of saying this is it, targeted directly at kids, but um, if but you don't need an ID, what, to get what, what you're saying right is, is there's not a height limit on the shelf. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right Rico? on. Mm-hmm. Right on. It's, it's, it's like next yeah, to the bubblicious bubble gum in that if, little if, aisle. If, if you're in Texas, right. If you're in Texas and you see this shit, right. Like right at, like right. When you check out at the gas station and everything, and they don't ask you for ID, you know, nothing there. Like, it, it, it makes me believe that you're targeting at a certain audience. Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody that lives in a state where we don't have legal dispensaries and all we have are Delta-8 and CBD edibles and flour and vapes and whatever you want at every gas station. Uh, what was that, Jason? I was going to say, you guys have the trap at every single cell phone. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I, I mean, I guess I, I think it's... It's. I don't think it's a great product, Delta Eight and Delta Ten. I. I don't encourage my friends that live here to smoke it. We. I don't think we know the long-term effects of, of what consuming Delta Eight for an extended period of time will do. Right. That being said, I think the value in it is that it's creating such ambiguity at a federal level, but it's putting pressure on both state and federal government to at least have a conversation about it, which is more of it can be than can be said for the past ten years at this point, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it, it the ambiguity it creates is ultimately going to help push the conversation forward. And on that, we got to keep this train rolling. We're going to roll right into Mr. Attorney, Mr. Dale Schaefer. He's the founder of Armada Law Practice and at one point in time did some time for a cannabis crime. That's right. It is Mr. Dale Schaefer. Uh, good morning, everybody. And on the East Coast, good afternoon. Um, Jason sent me a case um, last week out of the federal court in New York. And so I wrote a short article on it and there was misspelling of me, blaming on me. Yeah. Um, now this, this involves the dormant commerce clause. We talked about this a couple times over the past year. It's gonna continue to be a problem. Instead of New York where two cannabis companies um, sued the New York State Cannabis Commission and their board and every place has a different Term they use for these folks, and also the leaders of two of these groups, because uh, they tried to apply for a license, 
and you're given an opportunity for extra priority in the license process, and we all know how that works in social equity and local preferences and all that kind of happy horse shit. And they went to load up their California conviction for cannabis and their California residency requirements that met all the criteria. I'm 80% of the average, I mean, the median income, and I've lived here for the right amount of time, and the portal wouldn't accept it. Okay, so if you take a step back from that um, and take a look at the underlying statutes they were based upon, these are what we call enabling statutes, which give regulators the right to write regulations. There's nothing in there that says you have to be a New York resident. On the face of these regulations, uh, it doesn't violate the Commerce Clause or the Dormant Commerce Clause on its face. But the next analysis we look at as it's applied, is it unconstitutional? And that's where the bells start to go off here. Because uh, if, we, if we step back a little bit in the Dormant Commerce Clause conversation, this all comes about because our Articles of Confederation back in the 1780s, they had, they had um, border wars between states over commerce, protective tariffs, taxes at the border, all kinds of shit like that. And it was one of the major reasons that we put together the Constitution, not we, our founding fathers put the Constitutional Republic together and set it up the way it did. And the federal government has the exclusive power for commerce. Okay. Now, in the cannabis space, they, like I said a minute ago, they divided their authority and let the states make some of this up. But the Commerce Clause itself, that's the exclusive purview of the federal government. Now, if there is a uh, law passed that unduly interferes with interstate commerce, now you've got a question about whether the Dormant Commerce Clause is going to apply. And in this case, if you're not a New York resident, you de facto can't apply. And the case is out there pretty clear. And this is where Illinois has a problem, too. Because if, if you put on the face of your statute that you have to be a resident to, inv to get involved in a, a commercial enterprise, you're probably going to lose that case uh, almost every time, unless the state's an actor in it. But the other question is, okay, what, what do we do when we look at this, this statute? Is it un unduly restrict interstate commerce? Okay. And one of the questions they ask is, is it narrowly tailored for legitimate, you know, local purpose. And in constitutional analysis, there's three tests they apply. The rational basis test, is it reasonably related to a legitimate governmental purpose, in which case the government wins every time. But the strict scrutiny, it's gotta be necessarily related to a principal or primary government purpose. And in that case, the government loses every time. But in the middle is what we call middle scrutiny. And this rule about it's gotta be narrowly tailored for a legitimate purpose is a middle level scrutiny. Not that anybody cares about this shit, but I read it in a bathroom stall last night and I thought I'd tell you guys about this morning. <laughs> okay. Um, now, yeah. th this is just an allegation. It's a complaint and just be sure this is what these partners are saying. And they're, the plaintiffs are varicites or varicites. And if you know medicine, the way it's spelled, it's varicites, okay? But I don't know how they pronounce it because I don't give a shit. Smoke a blunt and get beyond the word here. Um, these two companies have started this lawsuit and they also asked the court to halt everything going on in New York, except for those that are currently fully permitted and licensed and up operating. Small number of them, they want everything else to come to a screeching halt. And this is another example of how these lawmakers and legislators and regulators 
they can just screw shit up. You can't even imagine how they could do this. Why would they close that portal? They don't have an attorney and staff that told them, hey, this is going to get you in trouble. Apparently not. Because if you can't upload from out of state, then I think you're staring down the barrel of this being found an unconstitutional as applied regulation. Okay, that's my feeling. I'd like to wait until we get the response from the state and see what they have to say. They, you know, here again, we're going to have creative attorneys making shit up and throwing it at the court. So we'll see how this works out. But right now, I think they've got a problem uh, if they're continuing to restrict that portal. But we'll see as this moves along. But the Dormant Commerce Clause is going to continue to be a problem for trying to provide social equity across the cannabis space. Because it, it just gets very difficult if you're restricting out-of-state people or people who don't have these qualifications from an equal chance at these licenses. And I don't know that I know the answer because I've been involved here in California with multiple of these problems. And the answers are just not there. It's site-specific. And the problem is that affirmative action was thrown in the trash can. So if you try to do this the way it should be done, the communities that were over-policed were black and brown. But you can't say that. Got to be neutral on its face. Okay, so there's the problem that we are facing. How do we bring social equity to people who uh, were traditionally stepped on by law enforcement, especially in cannabis, without admitting that we're trying to help people of color you know, pull back out of this war that was waged against them without saying that? And I think this is just an ongoing part of this pissing match we're going to see going forward. And I'd like to hear what you guys have to say about this. So I'll throw it back at you. This has been a long time coming. Right. So, um, yeah, this is, I know me and, me and you, Dale, were the only ones calling this shit out last year. Um, <clears throat> we said that, you know, a dormant a, a commerce clause falls or we open up, open up interstate commerce. And when cannabis truly does become a commodity, Social equity, unfortunately, is going to be seen as unconstitutional, and a lot of people are going to be um, in a little bit of a uh, pickle um, trying to find out if, if their operations are eligible for interstate commerce, um, which I don't think, you know, uh, the, the way Congress is looking right now, like you said, Dale, with affirmative action falling uh, to the wayside uh, recently, I don't think it's going to be a pretty picture. Um, so uh, unless, unless they somehow... Uh, into federal legislation, uh, put uh, um, you know, uh, put social equity into law and, and put like certain parameters around that. I could see a million lawsuits going out and, and people just saying that it's just not fair. And um, because the U.S. government and the U.S. as a whole just doesn't like to say sorry, doesn't like to explicitly <laughs> apologize for things that it's done in the past. It's because we're not and, a sorry uh, country. Like I said, well, that's debatable. America doesn't like to <laughs> admit that what it did was wrong. And even when the facts are in front of the country um, and, and things are the right thing to do, um, there is no right and wrong when it comes to capitalism. <laughs> I, it's, I think that I think that this I think there is a simple answer for this, Dale. I think this might not be the popular answer, though, is the problem is Anytime the government continues to interfere in markets, we always have problems. Stop interfering in markets. Let the free market work the way it's supposed to work. Now, that only goes so far, right? How do we tie social equity into that ideology to, or to that thought process? 
And this is what this is where I think we think about social equity and social justice in the wrong aspect. Like we think about it as a continuum that needs to happen forever. And that's not the point, right? Because if we get the social equity and social justice stuff correct on the first time, then there, there's no need for it after that because then we've leveled the playing field. And that's what we want as social equity applicants and social justice applicants. We just want a level playing field because we've been harmed, because we had to go through things that put us at a disadvantage. So uh, the free market is gonna will work itself out. We don't have to interfere in this way and say this, this, and you can't do this, and people from over here can't run businesses over here. It's, it's nonsense and it starts to just get, you build this web that becomes so tangled that it suffocates the business, it suffocates the market. It's happening now in California right now. It's something that we have to unwind and, and, and unravel. So the way we gotta look at social equity is like, the way we look at reconstruction after a war, right? This is the war on cannabis. People have been harmed and we have casualties in this sense. We go in, we rebuild, we make it better. We make it to where people can have sustaining livable existence. And then we continue to move on after the playing field has been leveled. I think that's the direction that we have to look at this in. That's the that's where we keep on messing this up is we keep on asking the government, hey, come in and help us on this or come in and overregulate this. And then when it happens, we go, oh, you guys overregulated this. Well, it's the leveling the playing field that's the problem here, Luke because the Constitution has a bunch of provisions that requires equality, equal protection, privileges, immunities, clauses, things like that. And since and we had a case here in California called the Bakke case, and it was a big Supreme Court case where a white guy was trying to get into medical school back in affirmative action. And since then here in California, it has just, um, the playing field, trying to level the playing field has been a difficult one. Now in, in LA, they set out criteria that you couldn't use color of someone's skin because that's a protected class and it's a, just a big mess to do. So they, they set up places where there was over enforcement, things like that. Well, the Armenian community went to the local city council and they managed to get their areas put into those traditional over-policed areas and they got the same preference that the black and brown communities get. And I tell you, that it just was a huge mess out here. It's like, oh, you guys weren't targets like black and brown people were. Well, the problem is the 800-pound gorilla is you can't talk about black and brown because that's unconstitutional. But they're the ones that got kicked in the ass over this. Yep. Hey, Luke, I you think, and I are I white. Luke's point. We got bent over by the system for pot, but we ain't the traditional people who got bent over by the system. And yeah, I think to Luke's point about add, opening add, the playing field. In there too, uh, um, uh, Dale, gentrification. Like if you were there then, a lot of those folks that were in those uh, that were in those zip codes, like they don't look like us no more. <laughs> they, they might be eligible now because they live now. What's he saying, so home? Sorry, yeah, I was going to say, to, to Luke's point about leveling the playing field, I think like a lot of places, especially like in California, where we have some of these social equity programs, the idea is, is creating this protected system for people that have been disadvantaged by the war on drugs or targeted by the war on drugs. To me, the, the better approach is to do something, and I'm not by any means saying that Oklahoma has the most robust or efficient cannabis market in the country, but... 
their approach to licensing where there was no restrictions. They made the application fees very low. They didn't have uh, canopy space caps, so you could get one license and grow 200 acres worth of product. I think that's really, I think they did a better job in the direction of social equity because they made it easier for anybody to get a license. And you saw the result of that is that you don't see the big publicly traded MSOs trying to compete in that market because they don't have those monopoly protections that they do in limited license markets. Um, so I think places like that, you see uh, New Mexico has a similarly like easy system of, of applying for a license. I think those programs and those structures are going to do more to actually support social equity and social justice than these protectionist systems that we've seen. That's a really good point, Soham. But we, we got to go to commercial. We're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Uh, stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. Do us a favor. Do yourself a favor. YouTube will appreciate it as well. Also, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not subscribed to the channel already. And all the articles that we cover on today's show, you can read on our website at www.highatnightnews.com. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smokey Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah, you know what it is. We just stretched and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Our next correspondent has got over a decade of regulated industry experience under his belt in cannabis technology and data, but for his current projects, one of his current projects, he's working on Grind, a cannabis lifestyle brand for serious and professional athletes. Doesn't sound too inclusive to me and the rest of us amateur athletes out here. So, hum, come to stay. No, that's for everybody. <laughs> so, hum, Shaw, what you got for us today, my man? Today, so we got some news coming out of the old Soviet bloc. Ukraine has been attempting to pass their own medical marijuana legislation here for a few months. Um, actually, it really goes back a few years. Their, their president, Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, talked about uh, approving medical marijuana as far back as 2019 on his presidential campaign trail. Uh, in 2022, in February of last year, uh, Russia, of course, invaded Ukraine, um, throwing the, the country into a tumultuous war. So that kind of brought this issue back to the surface, uh, you know, especially with, with regard to treating people that have war injuries and pain and uh, PTSD. Um, so the bill finally was approved by the country's single, par uh, single house legislature uh, a couple weeks ago and is now pending signature by the president himself. 
unfortunately, the opposition uh, party leader, uh, it's in English, it's the Fatherland Party. In um, Ukrainian, it's, I'm going to butcher this, Batvishkina Party. Uh, they have blocked the legislation from being signed into law, and uh, a lot of their, their talking points here are the same tired drug war talking points that we've heard, saying that it's about drug cartels trying to find their way into Ukraine, saying that it's bad for teenagers and children, and um, a number of other you know talking points that we've heard for years. Um, the, the president is standing behind this bill and is insisting that this is just... Uh, predicted setback and that this was always going to happen and that they'll be able to get the Congress will be or the parliament will be able to uh, supersede that block and eventually will get sent to the president's desk. Uh, as of right now, Ukraine allows medical marijuana to be used to treat epilepsy and cancer, but this bill would expand it explicitly to PTSD and would also allow for public hearings to uh, hear it for treatment for other options as well. Um, Ukraine, one last point, I think it's interesting that Ukraine has taken an approach to um, legalizing and regulating medical marijuana, which is uh, in stark contrast to their oppressive neighbors, uh, who, as we know, have been jailing U.S. citizens for possessing small amounts of THC and other cannabis products, including uh, Brittany Grenier and um, I'm blanking on the, the name of the other gentleman that's there that's locked up right now that we're waiting to come home. But uh, so it's it's, I think, encouraging to see oh, that out of you. Paul Whelan, that's right. Thank you, Luke. Um, I think it's encouraging to see that uh, a part of the world that's traditionally had a more conservative view on on cannabis and drug use in general is at least starting to to have that conversation and change their laws. And hopefully, other uh, former Soviet bloc countries, uh, you know, continue down the same path. I'm interested in hearing, you know, what everyone else has to say. Um, I think ultimately this is going to get passed. I think this is just part part of their whole little process, and they needed a headline to come out for the opposition to to steer them, so they felt like they were getting their you know I mean their just desserts and whatnot. But I think ultimately this is this is going to go through like you like you stated. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a big a boom for the country as well. It's uh, you know agriculture is one of the largest industries in in Ukraine. You know they're one of the largest rice producers and exporters in the world. Um, so it, I think it could do a lot of good for, for their economy as well. That is true, but it's going to depend absolutely. on how and Go ahead, Manny. I mean, yes, absolutely. Of course it does. But think about, you know, any country that's going through some of the things that they've gone through recently, um, is going to have a tremendous, um, surge of individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder and all kinds of different things they've been exposed to so much trauma recently. And so this would be huge progressive movement on behalf of the people there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's for sure. Yeah. I think that I think the biggest cannabis producing countries in the world, um, 200 years ago and up until, um, hemp was at, you know, taken out of commercial production, Russia, but just produced more hemp than any place else. Our war of 1812, you know, a lot of it had to do with us smuggling hemp out of Russia, you know, because there's big shipbuilding, canvas, rope making thing. There's a lot of hemp tradition and cannabis tradition in the area. It was suppressed by the Russians, but it's there. People remember it. And, you know, hot hemp has been available. Smoke a little bit and grandma just has a good night's sleep. What were we going to say, Luke? Yeah, on, on a personal note, I, I do hope they get better cannabis because the stuff I got when I was in Ukraine was not not good. Oh, you got some of that boof, huh? 
Got yeah. some of that bread basket OG. Yeah, I may or may not have had a couple uh, packs live resin cards with me too. Oh man, Luke, you, did you have something on this? Yeah, you know, it's just I think that to be to make cannabis available to people with PTSD, I think is extremely important. I think it's one of the really overlooked um, conditions that cannabis can re be really, really beneficial for, you know, I, I, I know that like, you know, those, the, the first things that come to our mind are, are cancer and, and AIDS and, you know, and HIV and, you know, some of the more terminal, you know, headline making um, ailments, but, you know, just the way cannabis can help and benefit the person that experiences PTSD and able to kind of get around and look at their problems or their issues and at a different angle or kind of overview, I think is extremely helpful. I think that we're going to see tremendous lead way made in that sense. Um, and just shout out to Ukraine for, for doing this and, and trying to look out for the people who kind of fall on their side. And, you know, I'm not taking, you know, you, you can get political and, and everything, but these people sacrificed for their country and uh, are looking for a way to be able to heal and get better and, 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 and reintegrate and become productive citizens again. And I, and I applaud them for that. I applaud them for the courage of doing that. Um, in the in the aspect of um just like the all the breakthroughs of of medical cannabis too and and to what dale said what's been going on in that area of, of the country for so long i can't remember the 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 species of cannabis that used to come out of i want to say it was rubis or rubius yeah, thank you I, I i hadn't said it in so long that it was it, but that 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 specific species was was indigenous to that area, and and so that so it has a long long history with cannabis. Uh, Ukraine being the almost breadbasket of that entire area, too. Obviously, it's going to be huge in an agricultural area. So, you know, shout out to Ukraine and what they're doing. And one more thing to what you said, Luke, about PTSD. I think one thing that's overlooked. I feel like PTSD is one of the most commonly one one of the most common ailments that people unconsciously or subconsciously self-medicate for is even in the u.s you know it's people don't realize that that's why they're smoking so much especially you look in in the inner city where people experience gang violence on a day-to-day -day basis growing up like there's been a lot of studies that have been done to show that whether it's you know codeine cough syrup or cannabis or whatever it is that's a lot of you know unconscious self-medicating happening so um unfortunately that's probably going to happen in ukraine regardless once they once they overcome this this war right now so i think it's very beneficial that their government is trying to provide some type of treatment for them through a legal means mm -hmm. you think it's like pro proactively um approaching the inevitable you know um opioid addiction from a lot of these folks like later on exactly yes yeah uh, like that angle yeah most, most definitely. We're going to keep this train rolling. We're going to roll right into she's a mom. She's a cannabis executive, and she has the Woman's Canna Awards coming up. So make sure that you get your tickets as well as if you are a woman in the cannabis space that you submit an entry for a possible win. That's right. It is none other than Miss right. Mandy Tingler. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. I know that I absolutely did. Uh, today, my article comes to you out of the great state of Florida. Florida. 
The headline reads, Florida officials arrest two people accused of falsifying signatures for marijuana legalization ballot initiative. Florida officials say that three canvassers are being prosecuted on fraud charges, including one person who was involved in petitioning for an unrelated gambling-related re initiative. The department said that circulators submitted dozens of falsified marijuana and gambling initiative petitions without specifying exactly how many signatures may have been impacted. The article says that the canvassers were paid per signature and that this method can lead to concerns over the temptation to falsify signatures to make more money and ultimately sway outcomes. The state's prosecution of the paid circulators is happening more is happening more than six months after the Florida Division of Elections announced that the activists had submitted enough signatures to qualify for the 2024 ballot. The spokesperson for the campaign for Smart and Safe Florida told Marijuana Moment that this is, quote, a fully supportive of FDLE's investigation and that they, they pledge to cooperate any way that they can. It says that nearly 1 million signatures were in favor for the ballot placement and were submitted, which is well beyond the 891,523 required signatures that were needed, suggesting that reportedly falsified petitions that are now in question would not actually be meaningful enough to impact the campaign's current qualification requirement status. For reference, they only need 8% of, of the population signatures in 14 of the 28 congressional districts. That said, even with more than enough signatures, the question remains how the Supreme Court will come down on the overall legalization measure, which the Attorney General's office, of course, wants to see invalidated ahead of next year's election. Interestingly, though, seven out of 10 Florida voters support, legalizations, support legalization efforts. The multi-state marijuana company that we all talk about a lot around here, True Leaf, has contributed more than $39 million to the Smart and Safe Florida campaign to date and has been uh, looking to position themselves on a monopolistic stronghold in the marketplace. Law contains a provision that would allow but not require lawmakers to take steps towards the approval of additional businesses. Home cultivation by consumers would not be allowed under the proposed drafted policies. Adults 21 and older would be able to purchase and possess up to one ounce of cannabis, only five grams of which could be concentrate products. The three-page measure also omits equity provisions favored by advocates such as expungements or other relief for people with prior cannabis convictions. I don't know about you guys, but that being omitted is actually a huge non-starter for me. Florida expects anywhere from $191 million to $431 million in tax revenue with adult use laws that would come into effect. And guys, my oh my, Florida... <clears throat> Priorities are a little bit backwards, as usual. We're not surprised to hear this, but I am really interested to see what you guys think about these, these uh, petition signers and what should happen with them. And do you think that the state of Florida is going to throw this entire thing out? Let me know what you think. This is Mandy coming at you live for Hyatt 9 News. You know what I really Every want Every initiative know, I've been involved in has the same problems. That's why they make you uh, submit substantially more than what's required because they throw a lot of these out, all right? 
and you know that's why my clients always hired professional signature gatherers as as strange as that sounds because they know how not how to go out and just make up names write somebody down and pull an address out of your ass and submit it i just and wonder i'm sure this is a crime I... and they should probably be prosecuted for because it it's it's perjury it's it's submitting false official documents things it like definitely... that but it happens yeah, every it's place perjury. I've ever been. I mean, it's, it's perjury because yeah. you're forging a signature, Dale. That that that. Oh, absolutely. That, uh, it's an official document that you know is false too. Yeah. yeah. Let I mean, me I mean, let me call a different angle of this out, though. Let me call a different angle of this out. So, okay, we have these people that are saying, "Look at the these signatures that these people are gathering for this weed ballot because they're faking them." like and this makes calls into question the whole integrity of the whole weed ballot that's coming up there and all the old for florida voters that are all the the snowbirds that are down there go oh they they're rigging the ballots down there uh, for this weed thing and then when you drill down on this and you say okay how many of these are actually called into question they have a quote that says dozens and then a, a sentence after that that says nothing can be verified of the actual number so their quote of dozens of these of these signatures that could have been called into question when they only needed 800,000 and what it I'm not sure what it said Mandy but I think it said that over a million were collected so that to me the math looks like it's well in favor of the ballot being legit now let's talk about the bill the bill sucks let's let's be honest the bill the bill in in florida is horrible but is it better than nothing i guess so i guess it's better than nothing barely that's but what, it's better than California. nothing that's what people said about yeah, 64. Yeah, 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 uh, but but isn't that isn't that beside the point <laughs> Whether the bill is good or not, I think right. Was, I think yeah, no, you're right. That's that's beside the point. The the point is that you know this whole headline of these fake signatures and what should be done with these people. You know, it's, it was literally a dozen signatures, and like Dale said, they literally throw out you know hundreds or sometimes thousands of these signatures when they're not collected in the right way to say these dudes like had some scheme to make money off this for dozens of signatures i can't imagine they were making more than cents off of each signature no so they what get did paid. they make no did no they no, no like they, get they, 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 they get paid they get paid like four bucks a signature bro they they, they do get paid okay so they made 48 dollars. excuse me so they made like 48 bucks off of this like scheme to come up on the voters and stuff like Hold that on, like, here, here's on, the here's the real question here's the real question yeah, I mean, at hand. I think it was a great Ron DeSantis. I think it was a great Ron DeSantis uh, uh, impersonation that you did there, Luke, <laughs> because <laughs> it looks like he might be the only Republican in 2023 to not have to retract his own falsified ballot claims. Just wanted to say that real quick. All right. So here's the, here's the real question. Here's the real question that I think that none of you guys have asked yet, because this is the only thing that I really want to know about this story is, is Kim Rivers going to bail these guys out of jail? That's will, a will, question. Donald Trump, will, will Donald Trump bail out all of his uh, his falsified election people? Oh, I my know. God, I would die. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, now, I mean, I, I think from my perspective, how, how, like, how would we approach this if it was the, on the other side, right? If it was a, a prohibitionist ballot, ballot initiative and there was falsified signatures on that, I think we'd all— We'd be calling agree, them to, even to if it was burned only, at the cross— Exactly. We'd be calling for the guillotine, you know, yep. so uh, I mean, forget the yeah, initiative. And again, I'm not extent. I'm not arguing for anybody to be incarcerated over it because I, I, I just do not believe in prison, especially for something like this. But, yeah, they should get punished like that is fraud.
Mm-hmm. No, no, and, and yeah, don't don't get me wrong. And take it out of context, like I'm saying, like there should be no consequence for the individuals. And if it was the other way around, you're right. So um, we would be probably c- crying foul too. But if somebody hit me with those numbers right there, I would kind of be crying foul, and then I'd be thinking to myself, I sound dumb right now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep it real. And that's fair. Uh, the logical fallacy is what that. breaking news is all about. Oh, breaking, breaking news. news. We, found, we found two dozen false signatures out of a million. Oh, my God. It's a, you know, fuck you. Sit down. Shut up. What's Let's move on to the next subject. Yeah. I said, we're running out of time. Got to get into Luke. Got to get to Luke's story. Let's roll. Yeah. Up next, he's a dope dad, author, activist, entrepreneur, OG, trailblazer, warrior for justice, spitter of truth, and living proof that real ones do still exist. Bringing us home once again is Hyatt Nines. News is very own friendly neighborhood outlaw, Luke Scarmazzo. Hey, good morning, everybody. You know it's Wednesday. You know what we bring you on Wednesday. We bring you those prohibition stories that matter. And we're we're diving deep here. Uh, We're diving all the way across the pond into the UK to a little town called uh, Westshire. No, no, sorry. Warwickshire, sorry. Warwickshire is uh, northwest of London, little city, little city in the UK. So inconsistencies on the meter reading lead police to cannabis farm in Wrighton. Uh, that's the headline. So, you know, anybody that was like growing back in the, you know, days when you could still get arrested for growing and in, I guess in spots in the US that you can still be arrested for growing, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of times cultivators would like do things to kind of, uh, alleviate the meter. Let's, let's, let's put it like that, you know, and, and there's ways that we can, you can get real creative with that. And sometimes if you don't, these meters will start to read really high for your neighborhood. And if they read really high, like those inconsistencies, like cause red flags, they say, Hey, look, your house is the only house that is like using $1,500 worth of electricity and everybody else only uses 300 on your whole block. What are you doing here? So, and that, that used to cause uh, some law enforcement investigations back in the day. So in, in California, and it looks like uh, they're still causing those investigations over in the UK. So officers made the most of their visit when they're over there and they were able to find a stolen car. And I guess that was like part of the headline because what wasn't really a headline is they had 50 plants at this like huge bus that what they called a cannabis farm. It was like 50 plants in a shed, um, but they're calling the street value 30,000 pounds. Um, and that's sterling pounds, not the weight of pounds. Um, so that would equate to like, I don't know, like 38, 40 grand, I guess in, in American money. So 50 plants somehow was, 40 grand. So the national, the national grid and the Warwickshire police, the rural crime unit went into the scene. And after they saw these strange meter readings and saw the stolen car, they said they hadn't seen anything like the, the grow before. If you could see it up next to me, you could see like, it's not really super sophisticated thing that they had going on in that situation. Don't really know if they could have pulled 40 grand out of that, but hey, I'm not on the street in Warwickshire. I don't know what, what the uh, pounds of the OG are going for over there. Even more so when you take into account the consideration of the cost for the layout of the equipment is what officers said. 
I don't really see like a really sophisticated thing going on here. But again, like, you know, when you, when you have a prohibitionist mentality, like we have going on in a lot of the world still right now, we have them to where they, they go into these scenes of like a really small home grow that wasn't going to affect anybody. It wasn't harming the community. There wasn't anything crazy going on in this situation. Um, I, I guess the stolen van or whatever, or who knows what that meant. Was it borrowed? Was it really stolen? Like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. And if you did have a stolen van at your grow, that was kind of dumb. But any, anyway, my point is that you have these mentalities that we come in, we put these huge dollar amounts on these small things and make the community feel like there was like some really nefarious activity going on that could have been harmful to the rest of the community. And that's just not true. So the more we get away from this, this type of mentality in law enforcement and in, in journalism, I think the better off we're going to be. And we start to actually be objective and look at this plant and look at the situations that we go into and see a little 50 plant grow and say, hey, man, like if they're if they're doing something with the meter, then fine them for the meter or whatever the situation is that calls for whatever municipal fine that you have you guys have going on and keep it pushing. There's no reason to destroy people's lives. There's no reason for any of these uh law enforcement activities come and have these communities now that have been justice impacted. Now these people, I mean, who knows what they have to deal with over there in Warwickshire. I don't know what their, their justice and probation system looks like, but I'm sure these people are going to have a good inside view of it. I'm going to kick it back to my correspondents and say, hey, man, what do you guys think about the meter jump in or the meter usage and what's going on over in the UK? Man, this is why they like prohibition of weed, because this is low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. It's like I got a whiff of weed. I can I got PC to go crawl up your ass. Um, if they're looking at the meter as probable cause to go in for um, a search warrant, I think that's a problem. That's a problem at the uh, criminal justice level. Really, the meter is going to bring you into a house like that. and You're going to bring in SWAT and all that kind of shit. These guys get a chubby bringing in SWAT and arresting people. So I, I just think we need to take away some of these reasons for them to get that chubby and go in and fuck your life up. Stop it. Uh, I, I would like to see what the uh, the SWAT team looks like in uh, in the UK, though. I, I gotta say, like, do oh, they they're they're armed. Like they're SWAT they're officers. Like, armed. Do the bobbies like right No, here? they don't. They don't. They're not armed. They have those little lights, and it's like no. Rawr, rawr, rawr. No, I mean England, like London, has a crazy criminal underworld. Like it's very violent. Yeah, like, shoot, shoot, oh, it does. They have. You ever seen like a, you ever seen like a Guy Ritchie movie? Have you seen The Gentleman? Actually, that's a. I've, yeah. I've heard from a couple friends that live out there, but it's a relatively accurate depiction of. Uh, like underground, the underground marijuana industry, in, and they're very, in and they're very proper. Okay. Even the underground is very proper. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They go to like tea time, exactly. tea and crumpets. They're very, they're very, very polite about their trapping. Yeah, out there. I'm all yeah. about the tea and crumpets. All day. I'll, I'll go investigate more of London's cannabis scene next year. I got to go catch Chelsea match out there. Oh, I got I like some people guy. I can introduce you right, to. So, so um, they watch the I'm show. Sure. We playing today. Uh, yes. So comes, yeah. so I'm showing those uh, UK roots. I see mm -hmm. you. That's right. Hey. hey, he's a London bloke, if you will. <laughs> London uh, is blue. Uh, <laughs> that's because it's woke. Oh, you heard that, Jason? That's because it's woke. That, that's because it's woke. <laughs> we all know that. Everyone knows that Parliament is woke AF. <laughs> the parliament is woke AF. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
But thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can catch us live weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the super fan showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen to our live audience and online supporters, catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. To our production team, cloud media partners, our sponsors keeping the lights on, and our AV struggles to a minimum. Adam with that frothy, frothy flock of hair. As always, Cannabis Steve L, the reason we show up to read these stories every single day. Thank you, too. It is uh it has been Wednesday, December 27th. And uh, I forgot to say it earlier. It's also uh Kuji Chagulia. Second day. Hold on, say that again. Say that again. Say that again. For what? Say that again. For what? Kuji Chagulia. Kuji. Kuji Chagulia. Kuji. Whoa, whoa. Jacoulia. Exactly, Dale. You, you're, 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 you were thinking the same thing I was, Day Dale. Uh huh. Day yeah. two. Like I raised some daughters. Yeah. Like, be careful what you say here, Dad. Yep. Your coochies. <laughs> what? You can't, you can't censor the. Have a good day, everybody. Black Black Y'all better respect it. <laughs> started by the started by the Black Panthers in the seventies, baby. Let's go. <laughs> But it has been <laughs> Wednesday, December 27, 2023. Show's over. You've all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke until tomorrow. I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street for High 9 News, Cannabis Industries' number one daily news show. Ed Honcho for the Women's Canna Awards. What you got for us? going to bring us to a beautiful quote. Mark your calendar. Save the date. Saturday, March 30th, 4 p.m., Los Angeles Women's Canna Awards Show. Get your tickets online in two weeks.